0: Hello, survivors, and welcome to Medpack L, a Dino Crisis podcast by Resident Evil fans for Resident Evil fans. This is episode 10 of First Aid Spray, and in this edition, we'll be taking a sidestep away from Biohazard to talk about Capcom's 1999 survival horror meets prehistoric cult classic, the original Dino Crisis. My name is Sineac, you can just call me Sai, and joining me on the panel this week, your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if if they should, it's Sherwin Matthews. Alright. Uh, 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 you didn't say the magic word. Uh, 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 it's Fire Button Steve Valance. Hello! And finally, life, uh, 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 finds a way. It's Cereal Box 64, Jordan Sugru.
1: Hello! <laughs> I need to get pod- me one of those like enthusiastic hellos like you guys. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this episode of the podcast is being recorded live in the first Aid Spray Discord server, which you can join now to hear unedited podcasts and contribute to the conversation in the text chat, as well as talk to us and other Resident Evil fans about the series. It's also a good place to put yourself forward for the file readings to appear in the show and to ask questions for our bite-sized discussion segment. You can find a link to the server in the description of this podcast or on all of our social media accounts. Every week we poll our community on various Resident Evil subjects. This week's poll was what's your favourite Dino Crisis game out of the four or so released so far. Not really surprising to say that the first game went away with it on that one, which is what we'll be focusing on. But before we get to that, of course, first we have to address Resident Evil news.
2: The news this week, Resident Evil 5 and Resident Evil 6, are being ported to the Nintendo Switch to be released late this year. Do we have any thoughts?
0: Yeah, I mean, this was... So we talked about E3 on our previous episode, and we were all uh, uh, completely wrong, I guess, by predicting even a slight reveal of a future game. I don't think anybody anticipated more Nintendo Switch ports. I don't hate the idea in one... It's like way that you know we've got all these games together on that great console. Also, these games come with all the DLC, which is really fantastic. Be interesting to see how their price <laughs> what that will be, but yeah, okay, uh, I think sense. we can
3: imagine it at this point. Yeah, surely,
0: it, I, I'm, I'm fairly certain it won't be great. But uh. I mean, there's a
2: minor tweak to Resi Six. You can now use the special mercenaries costumes in the main game.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay, that that seems That's to be a unique price
2: thing of a to the Switch port. <laughs> um, I'm happy for more RE five. Well, that's because I love I like the mercenaries in RE five. I think mm. it's the best one. Um, yeah, yeah. But that's literally it. I, the rest of it is just cool. It's nice to have all the games on the system except Resident Evil three for some reason. Um, yeah,
0: two and three, are, and oh, Code Veronica is also suspiciously missing, which is an odd one because that one get has a HD version has been ported around. So that one I think is the most suspicious. No Code Veronica.
3: Mm. No gun survivor either, what's sort up of with that? <laughs> or Gaiden. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the full 3D remake is coming, don't worry.
3: Oh man, imagine <laughs> that. Um, Yeah, I mean obviously there's not much to say uh, about this news, but uh, can we talk about the, the trailer for this? <laughs> Please. It, 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 got, it got a space on the Nintendo Direct, which mm. I thought was just strange. I, I mean, I'm not going to um, dress down Capcom's Sort of lack of appearance at E3 because I, I don't recall them showing too much uh, at any of the conferences or throughout, uh, throughout the event. Uh, I can kind of understand that they've had some big releases this year. Um, you know, they had Resident Evil 2, they've had Devil May Cry.
2: It was the uh, most of DLC, I think, was the only other thing. Yeah, um, that's the only thing I can yeah. think of.
3: Yeah, so, so obviously a fairly kind of muted appearance at E3, which is kind of uncharacteristic for Capcom, I think, to find. Um, but when when that trailer came up and I, I always feel, it almost feels dirty to call it a trailer. <laughs> it feels more like a commercial because mm. it just, doesn't <laughs> the same thing. it doesn't have that prestige. Um, no, 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 no. Cause like a trailer is like, it, it's actually revealing something sort of substantial. Right. Okay. Yeah. But that, that literally felt like a TV spot. Yeah. Um, and the thing is the lead up to it, the lead up to the actual reveal of the news that, you know, some old ports are, coming to the switch again um it really just feel like they were going to show something else and yes. and even the lead-in by um you know by the host of the direct was making it seem like maybe there was an actual announcement mm. not just a port i, I don't know did anybody was, else get that
0: feeling? yes like it? it was very up and down wasn't it well i didn't expect them to introduce anything at all and then we cut to a spooky mansion with people going in it to play their switch and they're playing a port of a game that's already out like so i was thinking oh are they advertising the ports that came out two weeks ago three weeks ago whenever it was this is strange and then boop, right at the end they're like oh by the way five and six being ported as well later this year it was just all over the place very strange and like you say just really weird for them to highlight such a, a minimal thing in such a strange way it was yes yeah, very odd
2: the least
3: spooky Resident yeah, Evil exactly spooky
0: mansion and here's Resident Evil five and six <laughs>
3: <laughs> um I was I would say if there is anybody that is interested in picking them up on the switch um I would say that Capcom uh are known for you know being quite participant in sales um so uh, you know a lot of these games at least digitally will kind of go down in price um and also on just about every console that multiple Resident Evil tiles have appeared digitally, mm. they usually go on sale in a bundle after a certain amount of time.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So if you're wrestling with the idea of picking up quite a few of these games, it might be worth waiting for, for a sale, because I am almost certain they will do something like that. And at the moment, the value isn't obviously fantastic, because there's so many other places that you can pick up those games for much cheaper.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like you say, when these come out, there'll be seven games ported on the system, that's a nice little package that will uh, probably get bundled together. And it's not really a terrible way to play something like Resident Evil 6, which speak what you like about the quality, there's quantity there in terms of um, content, there's there's four campaigns and all this extra stuff. So it's a game that you can play sort of bite size on the go, so eh, it's not a terrible idea. And now, reading the file Doctor's Journal from Dino Crisis, Carl from Evil Pixel, who you can find on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash EvilPixel.
4: It's easy to unleash any kind of power. The real task is keeping the power under control. The improvement of the initializer ignition device has enhanced energy efficiency to the maximum. Despite that progress, we've been unable to advance the development of the stabilizer safety valve since the accident that happened three years ago. The third energy theory will surely alter human history drastically. But as long as there is an uncertain element regarding the control of this power, even if it is only 0.1% of a probability, my work will be nothing but a terrible failure. The restraining power of the stabilizer we used in tonight's experiment was insufficient. The area affected by the excess energy is estimated to be a radius of 3,300 feet. The result of tonight's experiments may please the military people in a sense. The giant creatures that emerged just after the experiment have given me much inspiration. The most important thing to do right now is to leave here safely. As soon as I finish analyzing the data, I will evacuate via the bottom floor.
0: So if you're listening to this podcast on the day that it releases, today is in fact Dino Crisis's 20th anniversary. The game was released on the 1st of July, 1999. It's directed by Shinji Mikami, of course, director of the original Resident Evil who's had some appearances throughout the series but isn't the director for everything So it's quite interesting that he's the director of what in some way I guess you could call it a spin-off some people refer to it as a kind of sister series It's very related to Resident Evil and yet it's its own universe and all this stuff the idea behind the game was that uh, Mikami wanted to make something a bit more realistic. Not really sure what he means by that, considering it has time travel and dinosaurs in it. Um, but obviously the influences come from stuff like Aliens and very clearly Jurassic Park, which would uh, had stormed through cinemas just a few years before and made a huge impact. And uh, so, yeah, obviously a lot of the time this game is referred to as Resident Evil meets Jurassic Park. It's a pretty simple thing, but it's not completely wrong, let's be honest. Uh, Dinosaurs were uh, a big fad thing, and that film had a lot to do with that as well. So the game is 20 years old now, um, so I'm going to go around the table and talk to everyone about what their individual first experiences are, because that's always interesting. Mine's a little bit of a spotty one. I never really owned it until a few years ago. It was one of those games where I rented it, Um, But I have a very specific strong memory of playing it with a friend who has no real interest in horror stuff. He's a bit of a fraidy cat, um, definitely struggled the few times he picked up a Resident Evil game because he couldn't get his head around the controls, that's fair enough. But he was watching me play Dino Crisis and um, even he, if I say to him Dino Crisis, he will remember the specific moment I'm talking about the outside walkway where the T-Rex chases you around until the corner he, even he remembers that memorable of moments. And that's the thing that stuck with me all these years is fighting that massive T-Rex there, which is obviously really different from anything that Resident Evil had done. And we'll talk about all the changes that it makes to the formula, but that's my, my prevailing memory of playing it way back when it was released or at least a few years after probably. Uh, Steve, what was your first experience with the original Dino Crisis? Well, so I've got a bit of a weird one with this
2: because this was technically a rental, although I got to keep it because the rental store actually got shall we say vandalized and they closed down and they never asked for the thing back. So I have huh. a copy of Data Crisis that's from Impact Impact Video or something if I can't remember what it's called. But um yeah, I I was it was like nineteen ninety nine, so I would have got it probably not straight away at launch. My first memories about it are something along the lines of this feels like Silent Hill. Because it's in three D, mm. and the I think the standout moments for me are like that that rising tension when you're in like there's a big ass power room with a T Rex just knocked out, and you you know it's going to get up eventually, and, and those kind of moments where stuff's not happening but you're anticipating it, the anticipation stuff that that's what I mostly remember my first time through that's kind of stuck with me. Uh, that and I think Regina's a pretty all right as a protagonist, but I think we'll get into that a
3: bit later.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, Jordan, what was your first experience with Dino Crisis?
3: It was probably about, I think,
0: about 10 or 11 years ago. Um,
3: it, was when I, it was when I was in college and people were playing it on one of the uh, emulators on the PC. And I'd never, I, I'd heard about the game, but I'd never actually seen it before. And um, obviously the immediate thing you see is that, oh, it's really similar to Resident Evil, which I hadn't sort of... I had no idea that it was it was linked to uh, the producers the directors of that before. Mm. And um, yeah, I was, I was just play, playing it in like class, uh, you, know, not any kind of like serious playthrough. It's just kind of like taking it in turns to see how long we could kind of like you know, survive before somebody ends up wasting all the ammo and getting eaten by velociraptors. <laughs> um, but that was, that was pretty much it. And it always just kind of felt sort of emblematic of that period of time sort of, you know, going into the sort of millennium when there were so many uh Resident Evil games out there and they were starting to sort of have spin-offs and and deviations, um, you know, like Dino Crisis. So it's it's always been that sort of that's that strange little pocket where there was just so many games to choose from at the time. And mm. uh I've always been sort of like fascinated to kind of go back. So this is this podcast has been a great excuse to go and revisit it.
0: Excellent. There's nothing wrong with that. Sherwin, what was your first experience with Dino Crisis? So if I go way back,
1: uh, I actually played Dino Crisis when it first came out, uh, way back to launch, and it was kind of cool. It was this awesome game which kind of appeared when everyone was waiting for the next Resident Evil game, um, which fit a nice sort of window. Um, In terms of the actual gameplay itself, it was really interesting to see some of the stuff it did that was very similar to Resident Evil, but at the same time sort of really spun it on its head or introduced a new flavour to it to kind of give it a different feel, which I'm, I'm, I am I'm, have extremely fond memories of the game, uh, which I played it again recently in preparation for this. And there's a few things that have shifted around, but overall I'm still very positive about it. It was a good game.
0: Excellent. Yeah, it, you're right about the time that it came as well, because obviously there was so much going on in that period in general, but for Capcom specifically, we—it's—it was before Resident Evil Three even happened. Um, I think my experiences with the Resident Evil series at that point was two, and I might have played the first one, but I'm not even sure about that. I may have played the third one slightly. So this was—it wasn't that weird just to be like, oh, okay, they made a, a Resident Evil game, but with dinosaurs, because um, it was quite early on in a way. But there were so many games in development, which is why I think it's interesting. Uh, that Mikami chose to direct this one, considering how many projects are floating around and, and sort of being cashed in on with the success of Resident Evil, with how many projects they're working on of a similar type. We'll talk about what it does differently with gameplay, but just, first we might as well start with the story. Um, does anyone have any, you know, sort of strong opinions about the story, the pacing of the story? Uh, Sherwin, why not back to you?
1: Sure. I, I, I kind of like. I always bounce back to Dino Crisis as this awesome. The way I think of it is, it's like this awesome little B movie. Um, like it's, it's it feels very small scale in a lot of ways. It feels like that kind of slightly kooky kind of movie that you would go and see and have great affection for, but not necessarily take too seriously. And I think that's the best way of describing Dino Crisis's main story. It's not something that stands up, for example, to any sort of scrutiny. It's not something which necessarily works in a uh, in a sort of really thematic or instantly identifiable way, the same way as Resident Evil does, mm. but that doesn't necessarily make it any worse for doing that. It's kind of if if you don't if you sort of suspend belief a little bit and play it, it's actually quite well paced in terms of how it delivers you know kind of individual cutscenes, how it delivers kind of information to you in terms of how you actually explore out and discover new areas. There's lots of interesting stuff they did there for the first time in terms of branching narratives, that sort of stuff. I mean, granted, you can look at some of these and realize. Hey, if I didn't decide to go and rescue Tom, well, I'm going to go and go basically and go and see his corpse anyway. So it's not like you cut out that segment of the game if you don't go there. There's a few different ideas like that which could have been implemented better, but overall it kind of gives you this sense that there's a lot of other stuff going on behind you, sort of underneath the hood, Um, which I think is interesting. I think it does that quite well. And obviously, the multiple endings again, they're. It's typical kind of of how Resident Evil 1 is, like even in the remake, where you actually watch the endings and they're very, very subtly different each one. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. not like you get. I mean, the Resident Evil remake has what, like, six different endings for each character, but there's not really six. There's kind of effectively three with just different bits and pieces chopped in and out. And Dino Crisis is much the same with its three different endings, but I enjoyed it. It's, it's a good game.
0: Steve, how do you feel about the story and the pacing? Um, what,
2: for me, I, the, the thing I like most about Danacris's story is the—I like the character, the actual your heroes, so to speak. You're uh, the uh, the sort team. I think they're not called that until um, Crisis too. But the fact they are morally ambiguous, in compared to like stars, the the parallel, you know, the Resident Evil squad. They seem more like you know Black Ops spooks that aren't necessarily on the level. I mean, Regina's very questionable. When she deals with like a dying member of staff, for example, and um other things like that. But now, overall, it's it's okay. I feel like if Mikami wanted to go for realism, a clean energy experiment that becomes a time travel disaster, which summons dinosaurs, is a bit of a stretch.
4: <laughs> but <laughs> when you it works, say it that as general,
2: way. <laughs> yeah. But it works as a general framework. And as as bonkers crazy as it sounds, they do try and I mean there's lots of files and law throughout the facility detailing that the, the the actual ins and outs of this disaster, Uh, I would argue more so than RE1. You get a clearer picture of what has gone on. Because RE1, an outbreak has occurred, but you don't know what. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it doesn't really explain that, oh, yeah, someone dropped a vial and then T-virus, ooh. No, um, they got a bit more into it in this, and that I can appreciate. Uh, does it work as anything other than just a framing device and like a b movie like Show said probably not i don't think it's gonna like you know leave you with any deep feelings but it's okay
0: and jordan how do you feel about it
3: well i i think show it and that it's like it's it's something that you don't take uh, too seriously and I, I think you have to also see it through sort of the lens of the the period of time that it came out as well because you know mid mid to late 90s there were a lot of those kind of you know summer blockbusters, things like you know Independence Day and Lost World and stuff like that, where there might be disastrous circumstances, but the you know the core characters themselves, they still have their humour, they still largely get out of it unscathed. In that um, it's it's probably it's probably a bit cliche. Uh, I mean you can you can see sort of uh, all of the kind of similar threads to uh, Resident Evil and terms of kind of like you know conspiracies and double crossing and and all of that kind of stuff but um yeah it's it's quite straightforward as as a plot and you don't really need it to be anything more than that um i yeah i like the aspect that you know it it was introducing things like the branching paths because it was it was basically uh investing in the fact that it was making characters that you could care for that you would actually you know care about whether you decide to take one team member's uh, action over another, and and also the consequences that you have to take with that. So, it, you know, in that in that respect, it was probably given a bit more service to the characters than they'd done in sort of uh, previous Resident Evil games, because it was actually adding consequences uh, to the characters, which I I, just, I like that.
2: I'd say Gail feels like if Wesker cared about his team. <laughs> you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I I understand what you mean about that because there is much more interfacing with characters by having those decisions. It actually feels like you know you're building a rapport or you're affecting a relationship in any particular way. This feels like there's actually going on there, which is you know helped by um, some of the sense of humour of Regina and and of Rick as well a little bit. You know, it's it just those feels-
2: makes it so much more. Um- character-driven than RE1 does. Yes,
0: absolutely, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I care less for Gail, personally, but um, in terms of what we're saying about it basically not taking itself too seriously, I think that's a strong a strong uh, thing going for it. it. You guys talking about it kind of made me think about something, and this shows age a little bit, but I always remember looking at the back of VHS boxes, and I don't think they ever really showed up on DVDs, um, sort of. When rating systems on films were different and they would rank things, you know, they would tell you moderate language, you know, and stuff like this. And there was always a word on certain films that, you know, would show up. Like Jurassic Park, I'm sure, is a great example of this. It would always say something like moderate peril. And that's what this kind of reminds me of. <laughs> it's peril, it's perilous, the scariness going on. But it's not a, like really intense, scary, super serious film. It's just, you know, there's a dangerous situation, but there's room to breathe. It's not super serious. Uh, sort of films that every every not to bag on uh, modern day cinema but a lot of films take themselves way too seriously whereas we don't have these kind of uh, almost like 90s adventure movie sort of feel mm. uh, so like you say very much of it's time in that fashion as well.
1: What I will say is just thinking about it in context of what you guys are saying and so on whilst it doesn't necessarily take itself super serious which I think is about right for the type of game anyway it is um, it, it gets the cinematics really well mm. done. Mm. Um, like, it's even the small things. I mean, obviously, you already talked, Cy, about kind of, you know, your friend remembering the the iconic chase between the Tyrannosaurus, kind of, you know, chasing after Regina as she runs up and down the walkway. But it's even the small things, like playing it again this weekend, um, just being where, like, the bit where you kind of have to go find one of the survivors, and you know they've pagered him, so you literally call his pager and then lift off the hook, so that way you're kind of walking around trying to find the corpse... With, like, the pager going off. Yeah. Little bits like that are really kind of brilliant. Like, almost that that gave the just playing that, sort of remembering that, actually, as I sort of wandered around, and started hearing it and stuff, gave it so much more depth that like it just felt like it really added that little extra bit. It's nice attention to detail you find there is probably most of the memorable bits I have for the game. These yeah. are the
2: best kind of puzzles there. I mean, I'm sure we'll go into the puzzles later, but the one showing just described, that's the kind of puzzles I like in a Resident Evil or survival horror style game
0: something we that sort to, of engages you to engage the, environment. the environment. Absolutely, to get you yes. Yeah. So let's talk about the gameplay a bit more. Um, obviously, as previously mentioned, this game is fully 3D, which is something that Resident Evil hadn't done before. Um, so this is the first time for Capcom survival horror. Uh, fully 3D background, you still have the fixed camera angles that survival horror was known for. Um, But the camera will sometimes track with the character, especially one of the sort of earliest moments of the game uh, when everything is kind of a a rising tension and a a mystery. You've got a few of those camera angles to help emphasize that as well. Um, There's various other bits and bobs as well. You can move whilst shooting. Admittedly, I think it's just back and forwards. There's no strafing or anything involved, uh, which is something that the Resident Evil series wouldn't do until Outbreak File 2. So Mm. that's kind of unique there's lots of other little bits and pieces but does anyone want to focus on any particular gameplay uh bits and pieces uh jordan what are your favorites or least favorite gameplay changes
3: well talking about like the environments obviously you know it's it's in full 3d which was one of the interesting things which i kind of like picked up on the first time i ever saw kind of crisis it's kind of like oh it's like resident evil but there is this 3d aspect obviously by that point there have been plenty of resident evil games that had 3d environments but because I knew of the time period that this came out, I knew that it was fairly yeah. special. Um, I, I I like it in some ways, and then I I don't like it in other ways. Um, I think there is a there's a core strength with the, the, the pre rendered backgrounds that obviously it's a fixed camera, usually an elevated uh, camera as well, and I find myself accustomed growing accustomed to movement and controls in resident evil faster than i did in dino crisis despite the fact that i've been playing resident evil lately um yeah i still went into dino crisis a bit confused whenever the angles would change and i think that's partly to do with as well the camera pans with you Mm. which is not something that happened often if, if at all in the early resident evil games um so that threw me off a little bit and i think obviously there is a certain amount of detail that is lost in the externals, whenever uh, you know, whenever you're outside, um, the environments don't look as as busy as they they could. I know you're uh, you're, you're on an island, I think, um, but it yeah, it, it kind of loses a little bit in the in the tran- translation. But I mean, technically, I think they did really well with it.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a trade off, isn't it? Really, because obviously the benefit of the pre-rendered backgrounds, is they are easier to... They give you more processing power because they're just drawings. They're paintings, essentially. So you can put so much detail in that. Um, But I think... I, I I would say that the character models are pretty decent for what it's worth. They're somewhere between RE2 and RE3 sort of quality, which is to be expected. That's the time that it was released. But considering they're on 3D backgrounds that's not bad. The 3D backgrounds, they look aged by now, obviously, and they look fairly plain. I wouldn't say they're horrible, but they do get a bit drab and boring. And yeah, in terms of being on an island, there isn't much to see. So um, yeah, I think that's just hardware restrictions. Uh, Sherwin, how do you feel about the sort of look of the game, the 3D look?
1: Do you know, it's interesting. Um, I really like Especially the outside sections, actually. Um, what I pick up from those is this sense of remoteness. I, I pre- completely appreciate what you guys are saying as of lack of detail. And I agree. I mean, some of the areas just look really sparse and really cold, very devoid of anything. But I think in a lot of places that actually works because it feels like you are in a military slash scientific research facility which – doesn't have places where you'd have posters all over the walls and that sort of stuff, which is interesting. And the outside areas do feel pleasantly remote. They kind of feel like, you know, you are the only survivor out there. There's this great sense of solitude, which I think works really, really well, to the point where it actually becomes quite jarring when you do get later on in the game and you find other survivors from the sort of science scientists who are kind of still running around. Um, But one thing I found about it uh, playing recently was just this... The environments like the corridors and not necessarily the rooms as much, but some of the corridors are really big. They're huge. They're mm-hmm. super wide. And they're super, super long corridors to the point where I actually wonder how much of this game was made without them knowing, yeah, you know, how many enemies can we put in a corridor or will we put in a corridor? How fast can these things move? How much movement is required? Because some of them are simply so large you could sort of drive an articulated lorry through them, <laughs> and there's actually very little few there's actually very little to do in there
0: yeah actually and i i will mention now before we go any further i suppose that a few years ago on my personal youtube channel i reviewed the game so i probably will touch on some points i made because that was when i most recently played the game as well so that's i've got the same impression from when i did that video really but that was one of my issues in terms of the gameplay changes obviously you're not fighting zombies you're fighting dinosaurs a lot of raptors and stuff and they're quite Long but thin enemies, and yes, they're quicker and they're pretty vicious, but they're quite easy to avoid if you know what you're doing. They're easy to slink right past, and in those big corridors like that, they're they're fairly easy to just juke past. Um so I found the a lot of the enemies uh fairly easy to deal with in that way. Steve, how do you feel about the 3D environments and how it affects the game overall? Um, overall I kind of I think
2: When you look at the other big single-player 3D environment narrative games, like, say, Metal Gear Solid or Tenchu, I actually think Dino Crisis holds up pretty well for its environmental storytelling, even against something like Metal Gear Solid. Like, you go, maybe not in the exterior, but the interiors where stuff has occurred. There's normally, like, you know, shattered glass and bodies, and you can kind of pick together and, like, not detective solve, but you can kind of see a kind of litany of what has occurred in this room and i always love those kind of things as environmental storytelling moments and there is a lot of them in dino crisis that unfortunately normally end with and then this person died (laughs) but it's the way it's done that i can appreciate the fact that there's these little moments and then um for example the jump scares there's something impactful about seeing a t-rex come in from like when he bites through a window and takes a body out as opposed to Dogs coming in from off-camera. The T Rex is right there in your face, coming through the wall at you. I like that kind of stuff. I appreciate a lot. Um, Gameplay-wise, I think you touched on it pretty well. Where you can just literally, most enemies are easily evaded once you know, once you've got the tricks to it. But eh, I mean, there's not really much more I can say on it other than I kind of like the way everything looks and that most rooms have something to say. Except for your drab, long corridor with just sweeping wind in the distance and your exteriors, that makes sense. I don't know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, 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 no, yeah. I mean, it's it's a weird one because I do feel like I don't feel like it's an ugly game by any stretch of the imagination. I just maybe it's just that it has some strong competition in its area, really. And Mm. and it it must be said again, the fact they actually this is their first attempt with a fully three D survival horror game um capcom in particular i did pretty well with what they uh what they came out with
1: i think it's um thinking about the context of the actual game itself as well i mean what else was out there that kind of was close to this something like tomb raider for example looked nowhere near as good as what this did no um, no absolutely not and something like i mean i almost look at it as sort of proto code veronica in yes. a lot of ways yeah i could see that mm. yeah um, and i think as a result i mean there's loads of elements to it i feel that kind of feel very reminiscent of that and i think it's very easy to be forgiving of it with that in mind exactly as you guys have said it, it's it's one of the first stabs at a truly sort of 3d environment game that what well, there was and as a result i think it's uh, it's aged exactly as you'd expect you kind of look at it and go okay so there's lots of ideas that you know grew into other stuff from here but a good first effort
0: definitely and again, they didn't really, it wasn't even just as simple as being like, hey, let's make a Resident Evil sort of stylized game, but throw some dinosaurs in because they're cool. They actually, there's quite a lot of little bits and pieces that they tried out, That we've mentioned some of them already, like the um, alternative ways the story can take, depending on what decisions you, you go with for certain members of your team and that sort of thing, moving and shooting. There's a bleeding status effect, which is similar-ish to the poison status, but with some changes as well. And then on top of that, there's some some cool ones that I like in particular. There's some traversing kind of different ways to do that. So there's the vents that you can crawl through, which means you can mm-hmm. really plan a different route. Um, and then you combine that with the sort of legs of grid traps that you can have in the hallways. It actually adds a kind of strategy to it almost. When you're looking, you're going from A to B, from one side to the other, uh, you're going to have to sort of memorise what's where, where you've put up this. Oh, I can go down this corridor, but there's a raptor, but he's trapped behind this gate, so maybe I can get behind him this way. So there's an element of strategy in that part. Jordan, how do you okay. feel about some of the gameplay changes?
3: Well, I know this game has... Uh, I mean, you're going back and forth a lot to solve different puzzles um, across the complex. Um, so I think if you're coming in from any of the Resident Evil games particularly liking um things like the item management and sort of uh, you know m- unlocking the map i think it works great you know in that respect there's lots of rooms that you go to where it just kind of like teases you again that you no know, you're going to need you know these codes this piece this key um I-, I i think that's a it's a focus that obviously they then immediately kind of moved away from in this in the sequel mm. um But it's something that I feel is is characterized in this game, you know, in particular. Because, yeah, you can, obviously you can evade a lot of the enemies, uh, you know, once you know the ways to get around them. And so the main focus is actually traversing the entire map and making your way around. Um, I mean, we'll probably get more into, you know, some of the puzzles, uh, you know, later on, if you guys want to say anything about that. But, uh, yeah, that's it. Stood out to me as kind of the the main focus, whereas in Resident Evil, it wasn't so much that you, you know you you unlock the rooms and stuff, but I always felt like that was kind of like a secondary focus, um, and it was more about <laughs> panicking about the zombies which are in whichever room. <laughs> whereas with the dino- with the, with the dinosaurs, it's kind of like okay if you know if there's a sequence where you know you have those kind of almost like proto quick time events. Uh, Apart from that, you can manage it, and your, your focus is mainly
1: about where you're going next. I think some degree of that might be because um, a lot of the enemies respawn, um, which kind of detracts quite a lot from the effort you you might expend or the ammunition or everything else, sort of eliminating an enemy from a certain location. Um, and then you suddenly discover, do you know what? That enemy is just going to respawn anyway, so it feels completely pointless to do anything other than run past it. I find the survival horror element, although it's definitely there for Dino Crisis, just is nowhere near the main focus, the same way as it is in Resident Evil, mm. um, which certainly gives it its own spirit, which is fine. Um, but it's just a slight shame. I mean, that combined with a slightly clunky menu system is enough to kind of make me think that I actually want to be playing this game and running around from different location to location rather than actually spending any time in menus or as you know, as little time as is possible, really.
0: Yeah, that, that mm. makes sense. Steve, how do you feel about the sort of exploration side of this game? You see,
2: I feel like if Dr. Kirk is meant to be the big genius behind the third energy world, they, they are they are sleeping on Edwig Nim, Edward Nigma, who's clearly making all the codes and security, because it's like the Riddler works here. <laughs> I mean, those uh, codes and passcodes and the backtracking, and then uh, have you all played the real survival mode from Resident Evil Remake? I'm, I'm assuming you may have. I'm aware. (laughs) uh, With the non-linked item boxes, it feels Mm. very much like, because that was meant to be a prototype Resi-1 mechanic, that it got put into Dino Crisis Mm -hmm. uh, with these store boxes with ammo and things, and it kind of, it feels like I wish there was a solid, consistent item box, and I wish that the puzzles were less um, abstract and code-breaky. It's always breaking ciphers, for the most part, or little switch puzzles. Uh, aside from obviously the, the somewhat brilliant one that Sherwin mentioned earlier, which is like, you know, the fingerprint puzzle and the pager and stuff, that part of the exploration really bogs it down for me. And uh, But in contrast, the tranquilizing stuff and the fact that your baseline enemy is not a slow, shambling zombie, it is a raptor, which if it gets hold of you can rip you apart. You know, it can make you put into bleeding status, which then draws... I think that like either makes things approach you faster or aggroes them a little bit more. I believe so, And, yeah, yeah obviously diminishing health as well. Kind of like, a, you know... It, it, that is cool. And the whole trapping things behind laser grids, also cool. But I think the way you mitigate, like Showing says, the whole respawning, I think that's what the track darts are really for because I don't think they respawn if they've just been knocked out. Mm. And that, for, you know, it falls into the whole... Ammo conservation thing because you obviously you have a, like I think at the end of the game it's a pistol, shotgun, grenade launcher. Is that right? Yep. And you got you got to save all the good bullets for the bigger things. So you don't want to be wasting them on raptors. But mm, the the base exploration, it, 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 the thing that really really turns me off about Dino Crisis is literally you find a panel, it has code. You need to again then get find a key code from somewhere else, and then perhaps another third key code before you can even interact with the door, which can involve a lot of tedious backtracking, because normally they won't appear until you already know you need it. That, yeah. I mean, um, I don't know if I'm being good, genuinely unfair. I'm not no, trying to be too cruel.
0: You know, you pretty much said everything about it that I could have, like, the puzzles are the real falling down point for me with this. Like, the exploration is all well and good, but sometimes the puzzles make me feel like I'm not really making a whole lot of progress because I'm just doing the same thing kind of over and over. Yeah, it. it's just very the It's like... <laughs> Um,
2: remixes is, of the same code break
0: yeah which is a shame right,
2: to the criticism of because, um, re1's puzzles and re2's puzzles and then just made these cypher like yes. enigma mean things
0: it's yeah it is kind of like hey let's ground the puzzles a little more and sure they make sense in the context of the world and the story that you're telling a little bit but that unfortunately that yeah that just makes them boring um you mentioned a few of the other parts there that I do like, like the tranquilizer, and even sort of like the the non-connected item box is an interesting idea to mix it up and make it feel like a different game. As cruel as it kind of is, it's a, one of those Mikami cruel gameplay ideas, like the invisible zombie mode and all this. <laughs> that he hmm. just he just like comes out with these, and like other people working on the game have to hold him back, but. Uh, yeah, it turns up in Dino Crisis, like you said, as it was meant to in Resident Evil. I think that's it works contextually in this as its own thing. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with it um, in its way, especially because the exploring and going back and forth is kind of enjoyable, but making progress sometimes isn't because, oh, here we go. It's this puzzle again.
2: Mm. Yeah, like you have to get certain plugs to unlock certain ones, don't you? So you have to manage your resources of which ones you can unlock i think you can unlock them all but you have to root around for the keys Mm
0: -hmm. jordan you mentioned puzzles have at it then
3: (laughs) (laughs) well obviously there's quite a few different puzzles um throughout the game that i i I like what they're trying to do with it um i think if you're really into kind of environmental puzzles um that's great i'm not a fan of them so <laughs> I, I i wasn't you know that hot on it but um y- you know you've got things like the uh, you know arranging different pipes and stuff like that you, you you go into a room and you know exactly sort of you know what you're getting it's like okay this is this is where i do the environmental puzzle this is where i kind of you know connect the dots to then continue the journey. Um, I. I don't know. I, I don't have a, a great deal to say about them because I didn't really like the puzzles all that much. Um, but I've never been—I've never been a puzzle guy. Like um, even when I was playing, you know, Resident Evil, <laughs> I felt like I was just happening upon the solution to a lot of puzzles. It was just <laughs> kind of like, oh, I'll just—I will basically backtrack and run around until I basically have everything that I need. And then it will, it will finally dawn on me. Um, it's, it's, I'm not one of those people who sort of looks at the cryptic clues and tries to figure it out on, you know, pen and paper. As such, it's more about just sort of exploring everything until I've more or less just got the solution handed to me.
0: Showing, are you, are you able to defend the puzzles at all?
1: (laughs) Do you know, I can a little bit. Um, I think that it's it's interesting when I did um, when I researched <laughs> researched um, didn't really have to do that much effort, but when when I actually thought about a lot of the puzzles in Resident Evil 2 back when we were making the board game, a lot of those puzzles actually boil down to get item A and take it to location B, and that's pretty much it. There's not actually that much in terms of. That there's very few things where you're pushing the statues around on like the first floor, for example, or second floor. Sorry, uh, to kind of get the uh, to get the red crypt gem, that sort of stuff. There's very few things like that. Most of them are taking from one place to another. Whereas Dino Crisis actually gives you puzzles that, yeah, if if it's your thing, then you've definitely got something to do. You can access that panel, and then at that point, you've then got to solve another further puzzle, rather than kind of just something that's a bit more um, or a little bit less involved. Which I found quite interesting, and yeah, I appreciate that a lot of them are the same. But that's not necessarily the end of the world because, if anything, that kind of ties into that realistic kind of vibe they were going for with a dinosaur time adventure game, mm-hmm. uh, which was yeah, which is kind of that idea that hey, we're in a military facility. They are going to have the same type of lock system for every single door because that's how that works. Um, plus, and we should never down, we should never try and downplay at all. Dino Crisis has, bar no other game I've played, the best selection of sound effects for when you are actually solving puzzles I've ever encountered. <laughs> um, it really does... Like, that DDK unlock really does feel satisfying when you finally get it. It's a lovely noise.
0: Um, <laughs> oh, that's fair enough.
1: <laughs> and that's I the primary that's defense I have. <laughs> I no, think... the whole
2: narrative-making-sense thing about code locks, so that, that I, I can concede that makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, it's just a shame that it's sometimes too much realism um, is not not always the best option, is it? Really, and you are playing a video game, so it's you've got to about get that balance. And, yeah, about dinosaurs <laughs> and time travel, you
1: have to stop yeah. it Where you go, this is too much. Yeah. <laughs> like whoa, whoa!
0: <laughs> time travel, uh-uh. fine. Dinosaurs, yeah. fine. No, this has to be a realistic lock for this door. <laughs>
1: Yeah, like, I have to back off. Jarheads won't understand this. We have to war, war, war. We need to back off. That's how that works. Yeah. I, I mean, t- yeah,
3: to to its credit, who whoever designed these, um, you know, clearly liked that aspect and was uh, probably spent a lot of time thinking about the kind of security measures that a complex like this would have. But, uh, yeah, it ends up just kind of feeling a, a little bit too much of a, a you know, a formality to... Uh, be, actual spectacle of the game
1: mm. i mean the highlight i think is the part where and you guys again there's massive spoilers here if someone hasn't played it sorry but um it's like i, I love the bit where you're kind of trying to escape from dr Kirk. Uh, dr kirk's first sort of uh, lab as it were which somehow is supposed to be his lab but is actually nowhere near his actual lab um and kind of rick says okay i'm going to send you the code you need to unlock the vent but then does it through this obscure sort of card flipping mechanic instead of just going, yes, press A A B B up, up, down, start, and you're fine. Instead of doing that, he just like, I'll hide this behind these cards that are moving around, Regina. I know you're going to die if I get this wrong, but it seems fun, right? And you're like, no, just tell me the code. <laughs> <laughs> like, but there we are.
0: And now, reading the file researchers memo from Dino Crisis, Petros Iwano, who you can find on Twitter at Petros of Sparta. Kirk has been hiding everything from the researchers recently. In a demonstration of Solidarity, the baseline lab area staff have decided to investigate
3: what Kirk and the military personnel are up to. As a start, we managed to set a wiretapping device at the part storage area where they've been holding the meetings. The device is sound activated and records
4: automatically. It also can play back the recordings. It may be the best way to come up with some clues. We need Kirk's ID card to check the generator.
0: We already know his registration number. It's 31415. All we need now to forge his ID card is his fingerprint data. So after sort of I mean having a fair shake at the puzzles there, I think pick things up by talking about atmosphere and you were just talking about sound effects. The sound design for the game all round I think is pretty positive. From dino Yelps to weaponry uh, voice acting is kind of a mixed bag. I always think Gail sounds like he's incredibly bored and just wants to go home. But yeah, the other two members of the team are much more entertaining to listen to and their back and forth is pretty cool. Um, Regina is essentially Jill, but with the sense of humour, which is nice. Mm. Um, The music as well, I thought it's, it's, again, a mixed bag. I don't really rate any of the sort of action stuff. the first
2: uh, you get into the game it gets
0: worse mm, well yes just because I think it's amping up and whoever well I mean it's the same composer I suppose throughout the game but obviously their strong suit is not the sort of pumped up action sort of orientated pieces Um, the stuff that sticks with me is the the slower atmospheric music uh, from the beginning and the save room theme and stuff like that so some of those are really good but also some of them are just kind of a jumble and a mess um Steve, how do you feel about the atmosphere and the music and the sounds?
2: Uh, The atmosphere and the sounds, I think, are pretty top-notch, actually. I think compared to, say, even the the almighty Resident Evil 2, I'd say the guns sound punchier. And the dinosaurs sound as much as they can do without ripping off Jurassic Park, (laughs) Yeah, like they're from Jurassic Park. I, I the music does my uh, boxing. I, I can't except for the safe room theme and the like the earlier themes. It starts to sound like they're having a fight with a Casio keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> um, that really doesn't do much for me. Uh, like I said, that all being said, though the actual general atmosphere and the tension of the place, yeah, that's pretty fantastic. It's just the music can really ruin it for me, and I would argue the audio mixing in certain cutscenes can be a oh, bit rough as yeah. a result. Because something yeah. like the opening FMV, you can barely even hear what anyone is saying when they're in that helicopter.
3: And then, and then stuff happens. I'm glad I wasn't the only one who who had that issue because I thought it might be something with my TV, but um, <laughs> no, it definitely felt like I think the was mastering was off.
2: There's <sighs> like a pivotal cut scene later on where you've got Kirk, Gail, and Regina all in the room, and Kirk's got—I mean, gail has got Kirk at gunpoint. I can't remember a word of what he said. It's just. <laughs> like okay that, that's brilliant <laughs> i'm sure that was very plot relevant however can
0: you say that again um other than that yeah it's it's decent and <laughs> how do you feel about uh, the atmosphere of the game
1: do you know i i think it's i like how sparse a lot of the uh, i like how sparse a lot of it is it's definitely less is more um, i think the game is extremely atmospheric it's interesting you guys talking about the music side of things. I, I granted, I mean, it doesn't have anything that really stands out very much, um, and I think that's part of its own problem. But I don't think any of it's completely jarring or feels really bad. I will say that some of the sound effects for like the gunshots and stuff feel a bit muted. Um, like, yeah, the shotgun just sounds like it's a Nerf gun, for example. It doesn't <laughs> actually feel like it's actually a shotgun blast whatsoever. Um, there's no sense of like echo through these massive, long corridors which are devoid of anything but air. And there's no like echoing effects from gunshots or anything else like that, which I would have thought would be a really cool thing to do. Um, yeah, am not saying we necessarily have to go to Resident Evil 1 kind of hallway sort of levels, but yeah, a little bit more would be good. But um, yeah, overall, I think that's kind of fun. It's interesting, just quickly touching back on the atmosphere, because it kind of crossed over into this, was that like, it's not the soundtrack. Sure. Um, I think the actual Gale and, um, and Rick characters are based on the two Resident Evil characters that didn't make it into... Resident Evil 1 in the end uh, ah. Gelza and chewy
0: yeah I mean hmm. that makes sense yeah
1: um in terms of their personalities and who they are so it's interesting you say well Regina's basically Jill versus sense of humor <laughs> yeah it's the cast from Resident Evil one
0: yeah, yeah I had that hadn't even occurred to me but that makes a lot of sense really
2: for all the criticism I've got for this game I'm gonna actually have to say this I think Regina I generally prefer over Jill or Chris
1: Shame on you. Is that, that
2: controversial? <laughs> it's because I mean, she does could, have a sense of humor. There's I mean, no Chris such is just started punching
1: boulders, but <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. I, I think the problem with Gail is that Gail just doesn't seem like he's a very good leader. Mm. He's just, he literally is just some meathead who just hates everybody around him and just thinks that he's just going to do the whole mission on his own. It's kind of not, it doesn't necessarily work. And Rick just doesn't seem like he wants to be there. For a crack team, they're really not very good. It's, yeah, it's
3: it's very true. They get off on the wrong foot almost immediately when they lose one of their members, and it's just kind of like lean behind. We're late by forty seconds. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, yeah, you definitely got the feel that they weren't necessarily the a team. <laughs> um, as far as as far as I feel about the atmosphere, um, I mean, like te- you know, texture wise. Uh, I really like um, the lighting, especially on the like the indoor section, or how they do uh, you know the textured lighting for that kind of stuff. It reminded me a lot of Metal Gear Solid, and I I think Metal Gear Solid on the PS One is is probably one of the best looking games on that uh, system. So yeah, any anything that kind of evokes that kind of feeling, especially in those hallways, which are very similar to the same kind of complex as Shadow Moses, um, really works well. I like the fact that it's so separate from Resident Evil in that respect. You know, most of the areas are so clean. Um, Mm. It kind of sets itself apart. It's like, you're not going into some, you know, hellish town or some creepy mansion. Um, You know, you're in a complex, which has got a completely different kind of uh, foe uh, wreaking havoc. Uh, As far as, as far as sounds, um, dinosaur sounds are all right. I, Think probably i don't know if it's maybe a limitation of the samples they could use but it wasn't as terror inducing as you can make dinosaurs sound although i like the fact that they use um they use a dinosaur scream on the title scene um so when you press start you get a dinosaur roar as opposed to the name being called. And I like to believe... No crisis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I like to believe it's the dinosaur saying Dino Crisis in its own language. <laughs>
2: <laughs> True canon.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, as as far as uh, the voice acting is concerned, I I actually think it may be a step above some of the early Resident Evils. Like, it doesn't feel too cheesy. Um, They all... Seem like you know perfectly, kind of like straightforward characters. You know, they make quips, but it doesn't feel too hammy. Um, I guess this is to blame partly on the audio levels being so low at the start. I actually thought that Gail was uh voiced by Paul Aiding at first, you know, who plays Colonel. Mm. <laughs> so I was like, no, no, it's definitely definitely not. But I tell you what, um, Richard Yearwood who voices Rick, um. I was having a look on the IMDb for, you know, throughout all the cast and he voiced of all, of all people uh, Donkey Kong on the Donkey Kong Country TV series.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh that's CGI? Just, oh god.
3: Yeah. Just a little just a little uh diner crisis fact there
0: for you. I'm so glad you a little bit of knowledge there. <laughs> I'm so glad you mentioned that. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of atmosphere, there is sort of a last little, this is more pacing maybe, it's a bit of a combination of both, but I really like the sort of ebb and flow that the game has with its atmosphere, where it, it starts off mysterious and you're not really, you know, you, you're expect you obviously know what you're getting yourself into, you bought a game called Dino Crisis for Pete's sake, but obviously you get a slow build to the Raptors and then it ramps up and then you wind up in the sort of facility there and it, it kind of goes down a little bit and it's just standardised level of atmosphere with a little bit of tension. And then as we mentioned before, you've got the T-Rex coming through the window and then it goes down again and then you've got the next T-Rex scene and then it's down and it's the pterodactyls and then there's this great bit I, that I really always enjoy whenever I play the game is right before your sort of first fight, your actual mano mano fight with the T-Rex, you're running through this outside hallway and all the raptors are coming out at you and it makes you think, okay. Um, something big is about to go down. So I really love, uh, at least up until that point, the pacing of the game. After that, it's sort of a little bit murky for me because, like I say, I haven't played it in a few years. I tried to play it again for this podcast, but my copy is so beat up now that it unfortunately wouldn't get past the uh, Beware of Gore and Violence screen, so that didn't really help. So I unfortunately didn't get to replay it before the podcast, so... It's a little bit spotty, so I'm not really sure what the pacing is like after that point, if it's as good or as bad as I remember, but I remember it being kind of cool in that way that it would uh, lead up to a big moment and then calm back down again briefly.
2: If I can pass on one brief tip to any listeners, when there's a choice between either getting replacement parts or like repairing the parts, it's a puzzle later on, you go and get those replacement parts or you're going to be puzzling for hours in another lab going back and forth. Right.
1: <laughs> so I, I I think um I think in terms of pacing, having played it a bit more recently than you, it it's I, I really enjoy I agree with you in terms of the actual uh, lead up to the first fight you actually have um with the Tyrannosaurus. Uh and then after that it kind of takes a weird sort of slightly um obscure Resident Evil spin. Uh, right. you find yourself kind of going through the lift and sort of dropping down mm. in a large goods elevator. And then uh, you drop down and there isn't a rocket launcher to blow up a tyrant. But there is something where you find yourself in this underground area where there's kind of, there's obviously been a cave in and it's the bit where you sort of see the stones sort of start falling down. The sort of cinematic cutscene, the small of dinosaurs come out. It's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I vaguely remember that, definitely.
1: So, apologies for the random run. It's just you're talking about pacing and that no, that's
2: fine
0: for me. <laughs>
4: <laughs> no, no, that's fine.
1: Yeah. It's, well, it's, it's all relevant, to be honest. I it mean, really that's is. That's part of the pacing. It's what it is. One thing I do wonder. So, it's an interesting point that I wonder, bearing in mind, you've got the Tyrannosaurus Rex right at the start of the game. He's proto nemesis. Mm. You wonder He's if the guys who are like making Resident Evil 3, they're like, they've stolen our thing. Like. <laughs> Like they've totally used our stuff. Like how the hell are we gonna then have Nemesis be scary? That's a whole Tyrannosaurus Rex we need to worry about. (laughs)
0: Like, you
1: know.
0: (laughs) He seems so diddy by comparison.
2: I know I put my money on in a fight.
0: (laughs) So since you talked about playing it recently Sharon I suppose uh, we'll wrap up talking about recent experiences how do we feel the game holds up now if we have played it again recently obviously like I say I haven't so I can't speak to it obviously I played it a few years ago and I felt that it aged interestingly it's one of those games that very obviously it's old and as Sharon you mentioned some of the menus are really clunky and there's a few gameplay elements that just really sort of bog down the experience but there's enough sort of interesting little attempts at um, unique gameplay experiences that it's worth checking out for that. I, like we said, the pacing, at least in that sort of first half or whatever it is, is really good. It stands the test of time as being something very unique, especially because its sequels aren't really anything like it either. So that even more so, that makes it a strange misnomer in its own way. So for people who haven't played it, um, it definitely is worth uh, experiencing at least a certain amount of it if you can get through some of the more aged aspects, then that's that's great. If not, then that's fair enough. The game is now 20 years old. Um, and for those of you who played it back in the day and enjoyed it, uh, chances are you'll probably enjoy it again. Uh, Steve, how do you feel about the game 20 years on?
2: Well, I kind of had a crack at it last weekend. And I the point I mentioned was obviously a, a moment of contention. But overall, it was... I've, 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 there's worst ways to enjoy an afternoon you know but uh th- I want to touch on like the extra changes that kind of impressed me still now you're playing a survival horror game you don't have any health bars you don't have any that like, you have to kind of look at Regina to figure out how you're doing and stuff like that that kind of stuff I enjoy <laughs> mm. but overall I mean it's it's about as what you could expect from a survival horror game for 20 years ago it's a bit clunky it's not very <sighs> Uh, there's pace-killing moments for me, really. The, the, the these these puzzle moments where I like Rick, but his idea makes me want to die. Generally, <laughs> and uh, that's it. Really does. Like if you go Rick's route, it makes the game so much more tedious, and it's a shame because he's clearly the better of the two options. Because Gale is a gung-ho psychopath <laughs> who admittedly cares about the team, and those moments where you have to make a choice are great. But yeah. I always have to pick the morally what I see as the morally good choice, and it then make punishes me for it with here is this slow, tedious sequence of puzzles that are, as we've already touched on earlier in the podcast,
3: a pain in the butt.
0: Jordan, how do you feel about the game in 2019
3: Well, I'd say if you're you know if you're approaching it, um, having never played it before, um it might be a little bit tough to kind of get into compared to some of the other games sort of in the genre. I definitely wouldn't recommend it to people as sort of the first game that you play of the sort of survival horror, uh, you know, period of the 90s. Sure. Um, I, I think kind of, you know, there's, pe- there's people out there that will say that, you know, technically a lot of these games um, are either extremely aged or unplayable now because of the control scheme. I'm not one of those people. However, I would say that, you know, this one took me a little bit longer to get into than the Resident Evil games. I think for the time that it came out and for the ideas that it was presenting and and obviously kind of doubling down on things like the puzzles, key codes and backtracking and stuff like that, you have to be in the right frame of mind to really appreciate it. And I would say that, yeah, it can't be your first game kind of going into uh, that, that genre and that period. If you've played a couple games, especially if you've played the Resident Evil games, that's when you take a stab at it. That's when you go in and get that experience. Because otherwise, um, I, I think it probably just leaves you sort of wanting a bit more as far as sort of something that kind of acclimatizes you to that type of game. Um, the dinosaurs alone are not enough to kind of bring you into the game. You you, you need to kind of really be um, invested in the actual gameplay and and the mechanics that it has, which are already quite established by that point.
0: And Sherwin, how do you feel about Dino Crisis on its 20th anniversary?
1: I wholeheartedly agree with what's just been said. Uh, I also think it's important that you look at this in the context of what it was when it came out. Um, This was a game which just fit nicely into its own niche uh, as a survival horror game. I think it's got a lot of uniqueness that was completely abandoned from the second Dino Crisis game onwards, which is kind of a sad thing. And I think that it was—it's got a lot of nice and it's got a lot of nice nods in it. It, it does a lot of quite fun ideas in terms of its cinematics. It, it's quite cool. It does a lot of interesting things with its gameplay. Yes, it is quite clunky to control and move around. Uh, Regina will run into walls every so often because the turning <laughs> circle isn't very good, or something along those lines. Um, you know, some of the AIs will feel a bit dated, you know, the, the menu's a bit clunky. There's various different ideas, which, you know, never kind of got explored properly. It's kind of a hint at something, but I think again, a lot of it feels very much like it's an early stab at something. And from that aspect, aspect alone, it feels it's very unique, but also quite forward thinking. And I think a lot of people will play it and look at it from that perspective and think, okay, so this was a starting point, jumping off point for a lot of different ideas and I think for that alone, it's definitely worth It's definitely worth sitting down if you've got an afternoon or an evening or whatever else, playing some of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's part of Resident Evil history in a way, because as you say, some of it moved onwards into Resident Evil 3, some of it's in Code Veronica, some of it we wouldn't see for years and years uh, onwards. And also, like you mentioned, there were sequels, but Uh, dino crisis has an issue with its identity i think because of those sequels which we'll talk about in just a moment um so this is unique in the dino crisis series it's unique overall in what um the broad resident evil uh series including stuff like this um and yeah in its uniqueness you you might find something you enjoy it's not without its faults but uh yeah, it's worth sitting down and talking about it, at least all these years later. And it's it's still a game that um, people talk about. Even recently, leading up to E3, there was a strong rumor, I'm sure most of you heard, that there was gonna be a Dino Crisis remake. I don't know what you guys felt about that. I personally never really saw it happening, but it's it's it will always have its cult following. And with that out the way, we'll move on to our bite-sized discussion segment.
1: A real
4: dinosaur. Are you from the rescue team? Now, Shinji
0: Mikami, creator of the Biohazard series, presents all new suspense, all new panic.
2: Dino Crisis.
0: Capcom. So, our bite-sized discussion segment for this week is regarding the overall Dino Crisis franchise, if you want to call it that. It consists of four games. As I said, we have a poll every week on our Discord server. Uh, Dino Crisis 1 got the majority of the votes. Dino Crisis 2 got a lookout as well. There's also Dino Stalker, which is part of the Gun Survivor franchise, and there's Dino Crisis 3. I don't believe anyone here has played Stalker or 3. 3 is a really hard game to get your hand on these days because it's not backwards compatible uh on on the xbox sort of gaming platform so you need to have an original xbox to play it I've, i think i have a copy of the game somewhere i just my original xbox is in my parents loft so maybe one day i'll i'll put aside an afternoon to try out dinosaurs in space but uh <laughs> i've only played the first game so i have to say that my favorite is obviously that by default and i've seen some of Dino Crisis too. Um, but I haven't played it, so I can't really say. So, by default, my favorite Dino Crisis game in the franchise is the first. But I want to know what you guys think about the, uh, at least the first sequel, Dino Crisis 2, which is very different. Uh, Jordan, how do you feel about Dino Crisis 2? Do you prefer it over Dino Crisis 1?
3: So, it's, it's an interesting one to kind of, you know, jump to straight after kind of playing Dino Crisis 1. Mm. Um, I picked up both on the US uh, PSN. For the for the for the PS three, for some reason they're not available in the UK or Europe. Um, strange move, but okay. Um, yeah, they they went in an entirely different direction, and I don't hate it. Um, I, I think obviously, if you were really into the, the the first game, you'd be a bit puzzled why they made this direction. But to me, it almost felt like um, another one of my favorite uh, game series is is ActRaiser. I absolutely loved the first act razor game, which was a mixture of side-scrolling action and sort of top-down RPG, sort of almost RTS, uh, like controls. Mm -hmm. Um, and when they went to the second game, they completely got rid of the latter part and they just really kind of, they, they focused on the action and just made it more about going from level to level. And, um, That's almost what it kind of feels like with with Dino Crisis 2. It's like they've kind of streamlined the experience. Uh, I mean, when I first played it, I actually started laughing because, I I mean, you're in like maybe the first two or three minutes of the game and you have already slaughtered scores of velociraptors. (laughs)
0: Like
3: just shotgun to the face every time. And I really didn't feel like I was playing a a game in the same series. I felt like I was actually playing um, like an arcade title um and i didn't like i say i didn't hate it uh because there's actually lots of positives to to it i mean it's a much more sort of like engaging experience from from the get-go it's obviously it's it's a completely different approach um there's there's still other elements to the game like there's you know different things like multiple paths but it's all focused on scoring systems it's all it's all focused on you know how many combos you can rack up, which then lead to points, and points lead to you, uh, you know, buying more ammo or upgrading um, your weapons and stuff like that. This, uh, you know, at least when you start, you don't get any kind of impression that this game is going to be anything to do with survival horror. Uh, um, it almost feels like the survival horror is for the velociraptors, not for you. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, I agree with that. Um, but no, I, I I actually kind of came away with it with a very a very positive feeling. If I was to choose one over the other, I would go with Dino Crisis 2, purely because I think it stands out more on its own, and it doesn't obviously have to be um, sort of aggressively compared to Resident mm-hmm. Evil and kind of held up to that standard. And I also just like the fact that they just, they did go a bit crazy and just try something, try something out that was slightly different with the formula. Um and it made me wonder if, you know, what would it be like if they ever actually tried that sort of properly with Resident Evil, like in that kind of same time frame and also making it feel like, uh, you know, an arcade style, you
0: know, shooter. So almost like if they'd made the Mercenaries minigame into its own game at the time with like... Yeah, all the arcadey elements like flying yeah. up. that could have been kind of interesting. Actually, all yeah. of my things. <laughs> <laughs> there was a um,
3: th- uh, there was I think it was a Dreamcast game, and it might have been an arcade title as well. I cannot remember it um, off the top of my head, but it was a zombie game that was that th- that was sort of um you know from a fixed angle like Resident Evil, but it was an arcade uh, zombie shooter, and um oh that was that was the other thing it reminded me of was reminded me of Smash TV you've got to go in from that. section to section and um, I, I, I don't know, there was something just strangely hilarious about going from Dying Crisis Form it's very purposeful in its pacing and you know, it's got things like bleeding mechanics, you have to pay attention to the character, make sure they're alright, there's all these different aspects you have to think about in regards to keeping your character alive and then in Dino Crisis 2, it's literally walk off the screen and the game is congratulating you for how many dinosaurs you've killed. Here's all your points. Here's your combo bonus and stuff like that. <laughs> totally, completely different.
0: So in our in that poll, the person that voted Dino Crisis 2 is actually in the podcast. So Steve, you prefer Dino Crisis 2 as well <laughs> then?
2: Uh, uh, see, I, I was going to be more of a balanced take, but since John has <laughs> literally took all of my things, um, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Trying to think, like you said, Say, si, Yeah, it's like playing the mercenaries, but it's a really, really hokey narrative attack. And the game <laughs> kicks you in. You're playing as some meathead who's completely unlikable, but he starts with a 200 round shotgun, <laughs> and, and you're running what? through these honestly stunning, beautifully like pre-rendered. Because like, this is the last pre-rendered Resi, well, uh, uh, Resident Evil style game on the PS1, and it still looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. And you know you're sprinting through hordes of monsters that the narrative is stupid. I think it's um a city has traveled back in time, but it's actually traveled far into the future and the future where well, they've traveled to they brought dinosaurs from the past to the future. yeah, it's that kind of <laughs> that kind of bonkers but it, it it keeps going from set piece to set piece with different characters with a score mechanic like mercenaries. And you get to play as both Dylan, the boring blonde Morton, and Regina, who's amazing and gets a, a light machine gun. She's just tearing through raptors and T Rexes and God knows what else. It's it's a blast as an actual survival horror game, complete garbage. <laughs> but but as an action game, it's almost like this is the Resident Evil Five of Dino Crisis games. Um, I want. <laughs> It's it's an experience. I would honestly say that Dino Crisis 2 is much more replayable than Dino Crisis 1. While I know a lot of people are going to prefer the tension atmosphere of Dino Crisis 1, like Jordan said, Dino Crisis 2 is much more okay with just going crazy and doing its own thing.
0: It's and funny, actually, because uh, when I, a few years ago, I sat down with a friend who also knows the Dino Crisis franchise and he owned the first two games and we played some of the first ones together and we reminisced about our time playing it and uh you know back in the day and all this sort of thing and we both enjoyed it but he was more excited to put a dino crisis 2 and play that again and he lost himself in that and and i was watching it like i don't really know what's going on but he was so excited to replay that game again so further your point there
2: i mean you can you can run and shoot you've got little defense weapons like you can bring up a random firewall you can spray mines everywhere (laughs) <laughs> it's it's bonkers that i mean the first gun you get that's not the shotgun is like a weird tesla ball it's 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 nuts
0: well show are you also siding with the other two what do you feel about this or are you going to go Ugh. classic survival horror I,
1: I i yeah i can't possibly side with either of you two. <laughs> my god i despised the sequel when it came out uh, <laughs> wow. it was a real battle to go through um yeah, I you know, for me they took everything that was kind of I mean, as a person who played the as they played the original Dino Crisis and then sat down to play this, they took everything that I enjoyed about the first Dino Crisis, balled it up very carefully into a sack and then threw that away, and then <laughs> what was left was kind of what actually then went on to become Resident Evil 4 later on, which is a different thing entirely. Like it basically again like the thing that I remember despising the most is the idea of, hey, I've killed all these things. Now I can go buy some stuff. It's literally, if anything is going to tear you out of the game, it's a sort of in-game app purchasing device where you actually buy guns from a terminal. <laughs> like, it, that that alone was enough to kind of make me just cringe and not want anything to do with it. But I think the true... I think the thing, the, the, the feeling overall about Dino Crisis 2 is that, it, for me, it fails on so many levels. Um, basically on the basis that you have a thoroughly unlikable main character, like there is nothing there is nothing good about Dylan whatsoever. Um then you've got a storyline which kind of took the, hey, let's yeah, well, we don't need to go any further. It's a future city that somehow <laughs> has past stuff going on and somehow all of your team arrived set up base camp and didn't realize that they were actually going out there to a place where there were dinosaurs because they all got eaten straight away.
3: They definitely, they definitely do treat the whole situation like it's routine. Like when they get to the <laughs> when they get to the place, it's just kind of like, oh yeah, it's, it, this is just like a traffic stop. This is just standard operation. <laughs> yeah, and, whatever, and, it's just a village that's in the future and the past, and it's got dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. <laughs> so if
2: you go in not expecting anything serious, it's a fun time. That's what I
3: yes. And I was, I was kind of forewarned by that, you know. To some extent. well, You never really hear about Dino Crisis 2. You hear about Dino Crisis 1 a lot, people talk about that, but they don't really talk about Dino Crisis 2.
1: It's a horrific experience. I have nothing good to recommend about Dino Crisis 2.
0: So basically what you're saying is uh, a year from now, Dino Crisis 2 turns 20, so look out for that podcast, yeah?
1: Yeah, I'm really <laughs> super looking forward to that.
0: <laughs> Both ends of the spectrum, so that could actually be an interesting one. Okay, well, nothing else remains for me but to thank our contributors. If you'd like to be part of the show, then please look into auditioning for our file readings. One way to get in touch is to email us at faspraypod at gmail.com. But of course, the best course of action is to join our Discord server where you can also ask questions for the bite-sized discussion, discuss Resident Evil with us and other fans and listen to the podcast live as it's being recorded. The link to the server is in the description of this podcast and also on our social media profiles. You can follow us on Twitter at FA Spray Pod on Instagram at FA Spray Pod and on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash FA Spray Pod. You can find the podcast on YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, and iTunes. And if you enjoyed the show, please do leave us an iTunes review if you can. It helps spread the word. Our next episode will see us returning to Resident Evil, but not how you know it. Yes, indeed, it's time to look at the live action films. We'll be taking a judgmental cast of our eyes upon resident evil and resident evil apocalypse thank you to the panel you can follow us all individually i'm at sineac underscore one two three steve is at fire button games jordan is at Serial box 64 and sherwin is at sherwin's agenda and finally thank you for listening and have a good week
3: The yeah. Fast and Furious Seven of Resident Evil
0: games. <laughs> sure. <laughs> what?
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. Massive
3: ensemble cast, crazy set pieces.
0: Oh, you're not wrong.
3: I've seen it. <laughs> but also, also Chris Redfield starts to look more and more like Paul Walker.
1: <laughs> oh, oh God.
0: <laughs>
3: This new segment has ran on too long. Let's,
0: let's <laughs> on. That's fine. That's definitely oh, getting cut. <laughs> what are you talk about that's radio gold. That
1: <laughs>